This is the business of sports. Let's talk Super Bowl and Fox Sports. Guaranteed money isn't necessarily guaranteed. One major league soccer owner is leading a $50 million investment. The blurring of the lines between sports team owners and the sports gambling space. Michael Barr. How high can these valuations go? Evan Novi williams Off the field, the NBA has never been buzzier. And the leaders in the sports industry. Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred. Heidi O'Neill is president of direct-to-consumer at Nike. Then the race car driver, Elio Castroneves. Jared Smith, president of Ticketmaster. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Evan Novi-Williams. And I'm Michael Barr, along with Mike Lynch. We are here for the Bloomberg Business of Sports, and today we are speaking with Happy Walters, co-founder and CEO of Catalyst Sports and Media. He represents several players in the NBA, and we're glad to have him on the show. That is straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports, but let's talk about some of the topics, and let's start. Oh, we got a match coming up. Tiger, Phil, Peyton, Tom, go. First sport back, who had in their office pool uh, a two-on-two golf match between the two most famous quarterbacks in the world and the two most famous golfers in the world. Uh, I like the idea. Uh, It's going to be, if if all goes well, some point next month. Unclear exactly where. My money would be on Florida. Um, But... I think it's a good idea. It's something that people are going to watch. It'll be on cable television this time instead of pay-per-view. Mike Lynch, what are your thoughts? I'm all for it. Double thumbs up. At this time, golf is still being played in many states. Um, Have the golfers each wear a glove on each hand. Uh, Don't let anyone touch the flagstick. Don't let anyone touch the cup. Uh, Maybe have have a designated person take the ball out of the cup so hands aren't touching the inside of the cup. Uh, don't touch any rakes, which players never do anyway, but uh, that's the way to, and to, there's no broader field to keep social distancing than a golf course. I like it. Double thumbs up. Yeah, I think there's an easy way to look at this and think that it is kind of tailored to the coronavirus lockdown world that we're in right now. But I believe, and, and Michael, you know, we talked about this two years ago when Tiger and Phil did their own thing, you know, separately around Thanksgiving time. I think that this is a model for the future, whether there's sports happening or not nothing that doesn't say that with a a small media deal you know guys like tiger and phil can't continue to do this with pick your two celebrities mark Wahlberg and matt damon i think there is a a model here uh, that can be potentially both very lucrative and very interesting for fans oh this is going to get over Uh, people are going to watch this they're going to watch tiger they're going to watch phil they're going to watch peyton they're going to watch tom brady uh this is going to be highly successful trust me when this comes in may and sports fans are thirsty for sports, this will be good. Uh, let's move along to uh, A-Rod, J-Lo. Do we want to call them J-Rod or A-Lo? Or anyway, they're trying to buy the Mets. Uh, do they have enough backing to do it? They've hired J.P. Morgan uh, to be their, you know, their bank as they explore potentially buying the Mets. Uh, a lot of hurdles here, one of which uh, they don't have the money, right? So they're going to need some some deep-pocketed partners to make this happen. Uh, number two, what does it look like, you know, raising those partners at a time when, you know, the entire business world is kind of slowing down? And then three, which I don't think a lot of people are talking about, but Alex Rodriguez has a pretty spotty history steroid-wise and lying about steroid-wise in baseball, and I do wonder if he would even get approved if he got that far. Mike Lynch, are you buying J-Lo and A-Rod as serious contenders here for the Mets? Well, I don't think they have the money. I think the price tag is at two, uh, a little more than $2.5 billion right now. J-Lo does have a little experience. Uh, I don't know if she's still a limited partner with the Dolphins. I know she was at one point. 
uh, right now. And uh, the spotty reputation, I think, is, is going to be an issue when the, when the owners vote. But remember, George Steinbrenner was suspended twice, and he still was allowed to own the New York Yankees. Yeah, let's not forget that the deal that the Mets had in place late last year was Steve Cohen, a man who has, you know, some some financial red flags in his past as well. Michael, you know, I, I think that we're going to see a lot of sports teams in the next maybe two years end up going for sale, either the whole thing or minority stakes, just because this is a tough business environment for everyone. How much are we thinking that the price may drop for these things? I mean, if 2.x was... What the, what the Cohen deal was, do you think if the Mets sell in the next year, we're looking at a, a serious lower down price? I do. Uh, and I think when you know what drives the cost of a team, media rights. And mm-hmm. now a lot of media out there, they're, they're going to be a little gun shy. It's like, look, we have no product. you know. So why are we paying all this money? So when it comes around, this – Sadly, the coronavirus uh, on many levels, but this has uh, shaken up uh, the entire business model, not only for baseball, but I would assume for for any major team, whether it's football or whatever. uh, Media rights, they mean a lot. And if you can't sell it, uh, the price is going to drop. Let's talk about the Red Sox and the punishment. You talk about right, right in Mike Lynch's backyard. Is this uh, why you brought me on the show? Every this show, is it. it seems something bad is happening in Boston. <laughs> There's a Boston story every every week. Every week. Okay, uh, lay it on me. Lay it well, on me, Michael. <laughs> let, let, first, let's start. Let, let's, for people who don't know, um, as people know, the Houston Astros, they, they got nailed big time in the uh, baseball cheating investigation. The Boston Red Sox, well, they escaped severe penalties, uh, although ex-manager Alex Cora was formally suspended. But the Red Sox, the team itself, uh, pretty light, relatively speaking. Well, they lose a second-round draft pick, and people say, who cares about a second-round pick? But I was looking through the years... John Lester, who still pitches for the Cubs, was a second-round pick. Dustin Pedroia was a second-round pick. And Fred Lynn, who was a Rookie of the Year and MVP in 75, was a second-round pick. The gentleman who was suspended for a year is not in uniform. His name is J.T. Watkins. He was drafted by the Red Sox as a catcher back in 2012. And he's the guy who makes the decisions during the game whether they should challenge an umpire's call. He has a little office down the steps of the Red Sox dugout around the corner. He is suspended without pay for the 2020. He's allowed to come back in 2021, but not in the same capacity. I think that if if this was a normal schedule if baseball was just starting back up again this would be the biggest story happening in baseball you know the combination of what happened here with the red sox and what happened with the astros questions about how deep it went how many other teams were doing it it would be you know the talk of baseball uh and you know unfortunately or or fortunately depending on what side you're on um there's a much bigger story happening right now so i think this is going to get kind of swept under the rug a little bit there was some outrage about whether baseball did enough to punish the red sox or not um but you know the fact is that this is just not the biggest story happening in baseball it's not even close to the biggest story happening in baseball right now and as a result i just don't think it's going to be it's going to have the impact across the game that it probably would have had if baseball was up just up and running as normal uh with, without the virus happening. Yeah, I agree with you 10,000 uh, percent. When we get to baseball, I'm just going to bluntly ask, are we going to play baseball this year? 
<laughs> it's a good question. Uh, I, I still think my guess is yes. I, I have no idea what that looks like. I have no idea where that looks like. But, you know, as we've talked so many times, there's so many financial incentives to getting all sports, baseball included, happening in some capacity that I believe at some point this year they're going to find a way to do it. But yeah. it's way too early to know that for sure, of course. Yeah, and I think the Florida-Arizona idea is, is the strongest uh, case right now for making it uh, feasible and safe uh, and sanitary. Today we're speaking with Happy Walters, co-founder and CEO of Catalyst Sports and Media. He represents several players in the NBA, and we're glad to have him on the show. Happy, thank you so much for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Thanks. I appreciate it. Good to be here. If I may ask you, when you representing uh, a lot of NBA players, uh, did, what goes into that? Because, un- unfortunately, yes, this is a bad year. We're going to talk more about that later on, about the coronavirus impact. But what goes into representing an NBA player and uh, in, in trying to help uh, the player uh, advance? I mean, it really depends on what kind of agent you are and how involved you choose to be. I mean, the best way to describe it would be kind of a jack-of-all-trades, a manager, someone who deals with everything from, of course, their player contracts, um, negotiating a deal with the NBA, negotiating all the deals and seeking out marketing agreements to dealing with personal uh, issues, um, helping their kids find the right school, helping them purchase homes, um, dealing with any issues that come up. Uh, you know, legal issues, even sometimes being a marriage counselor. So you really deal with everything, and, and therefore I think you learn uh, a lot about the NBA, the operation, also, you know, people in general. A lot. Sometimes I'd say more recently, as you guys probably know, some agents have been making the transition to being general managers of NBA teams, and in the past some agents have done very well uh, being general managers. I think that's because agents have such a broad knowledge and perspective when they look at a player and team. Given you know current circumstances, what are you doing more of now and what are you doing less of in terms of kind of helping players navigate what is a totally unprecedented situation for them? It's a good question. I mean, now players are all at home. Um, so I'm dealing with all the marriage counseling. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, that's a joke, but uh, seriously, I mean, they're at home, so they're trying to figure out how to stay in shape, what they can and can't do, communicating to a certain extent with some of the teams, um, and of course, trying to help uh, figure out, um, you know, how to stay safe. Um, a lot of them have been trying to even, depending on where you live, they can't get masks, they can't get gloves. I mean, I'm even helping players with that. And then, you know, coming up with a plan once. Um, they determine what's going to happen with the NBA um, and the schedule for the rest of the season and the playoffs, you know, how to get back. Um, and if they don't, what the repercussions will be for that, both financially, um, you know, uh, with their salaries and the collective bargaining agreement, and then um, when this new season will start. So there's a lot going on there, but it's also a lot of sitting around and waiting or things here in the States to kind of mature and see where, see where May 1st, where things stand. And something I've been kind of generally wondering in this time, it seems obviously pretty clear, Adam Silver, NBA owners, they want to get the league back up and running as soon as they can in a safe manner. Players 
hundred percent aligned in that thought process or are they, are some sitting at home thinking, you know, I've been off for six weeks already, like firing this engine back up for a small end of the regular season and maybe playoffs might not be something they want. I mean, obviously there's financial incentives on both ends, but are players kind of in line right now with owners and, and, and the commissioner and that they want to get things back up and running as soon as, as soon as possible. I would say a hundred percent. You know, some players, one of my players, Marcus Smart, you know, publicly has acknowledged he tested positive. And so some players have tested either asymptomatically or have had symptoms, and therefore they understand a little bit uh, better and with firsthand knowledge of what it's like to go through it. But I think they're all cautiously optimistic, and they all want to uh, have some sort of completion for the season, right? But also they want to crown a champion. And, yes, you're right, there's a – 25 to 30% uh, of their salaries that are at stake if nothing continues. So a guy like Chris Paul could sensibly lose 10 plus million dollars this year, you know, on the high end and on low end, a guy who's making, you know, a million bucks. It's a lot of money when you think about 300,000. So um, they all want to finish for, for those reasons, but a yeah, financial have a champion, but, you know, with some caution, because I don't think any of the guys want to be exposed and, and um, have to go through it, um, you know, physically also. Happy, this is uh, Mike Lynch up in Boston. So, uh, obviously, uh, we were well aware up here when Marcus Smart was one of the first people that, that came out that said he, he, he tested positive. Uh, a, right now, how is he feeling and has he been tested again? Um, and what is his medical status right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. He, you know, and you know, Marcus, he's a real, really a great person and a leader and is really the first at the time to come out and do interviews and let people know to take it seriously. A lot of people his age were kind of out partying during, during that time when they were supposed to be on lockdown. Um, he feels fine. Um, he traveled to Texas a couple weeks ago to see his father and brother. Um, and other than that, he's, you know, he's, there he's working out a little bit um you know he did get tested again uh he got tested three or four weeks ago before he traveled and was negative and he's um planning on donating blood for research at harvard in the next week as well this may be a crazy question happy but is there a scenario in the future where there may be an advantage for marcus in that he had this and beat it and therefore is, is maybe less susceptible in the future. Is there, you know, it, it, is there a future where maybe, you know, players that have antibodies in them right now are a hotter commodity than maybe those that aren't? Geez, I mean, I haven't thought about it. Um, okay. You know, I don't, I mean, I, I, as far as we know, you know, there's probably a lot more NBA players that we don't know of that tested that have been you know, asymptomatic, but that have some kind of antibodies, you know, if it proves that having antibodies does, you know, help, because we don't know that for sure, and how long will those antibodies last, we don't know that for sure. Um, you know, ostensibly it helps because you won't get sick again, um, but until there's really a vaccine, I don't think anyone's going to, you know, take advantage. And then... You know, if the NBA does open, they have to come up with the testing protocols also to test players every day, and so that's a whole other issue. 
that we're all dealing with. And Happy, I'm curious, financially, you know, obviously players are, you know, there's questions about their the, the end of their year paychecks, also questions about potentially what the salary cap looks like next year. What kind of advice are you giving your guys about how to prepare for, and maybe more specifically, what to prepare for financially in the next year or two? Well, another good question. I, I think a lot of this is unknown, as we discussed earlier. The status of the NBA um, right now for this season is up in the air. If it plays out and there are some games and a playoff, the players will get their full salaries and maybe some return of escrow. However, the salary cap we expect to go down um, suddenly. We were um, all given numbers about two months ago that the salary cap was going to maybe go down a million dollars. But with the television rights, where they are with games having been um, off the air, canceled, and, and ticket sales at zero for the last two months um, or close to it, it's going to go down again. Now the issues will be for the Players Association and the NBA to determine whether they want to take the loss all in one year, meaning let's mm. say it's a $20 million cap loss. So instead of being $110 million, it's $90 million. They want to take it in one year or they want to smooth it and over the next three or four years have the cap go down you know, 4 or $5 million a year. So that will also determine what free agents do, who opts, in and out of contracts, um, what the budgets are for teams to re-sign their players, which teams go into the tax. So there's a lot of ramifications above and beyond just the end of the season. Um, I have some free agents like Jeremy Grant, Davis Burton, who are uh, pretty um, popular in this free agent class <clears throat> and thought of highly and should do very well, but if the cap goes down, uh, suddenly, and in a massive amount, it will affect what they're able to do. So there are a lot of things outstanding. I've told players, you know, save your money right now and and just prepare for next year to be a tougher year in general. I'd like to ask, the NFL held a draft, the electronic draft. Could the NBA pull something off like this also? And, and what would it mean as an agent uh, when you have uh, an electronic draft? I think for the NBA, we're going to look and see how the fan reaction over time. The NBA can definitely do it, except for the NBA, it's several months down the road, and I think they would prefer to have something where the players and their families are able to be present in a green room type setting, perhaps not with a huge arena full of fans like they do typically every year in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center. But the NBA's got time because first you have to finish the season and or playoffs, and then you have the draft. So, you know, I expect the draft to be in late August, personally. And if that's the case, I think at that point, most states will be in their phase two or phase three, or they think they'll be in their phase two or phase three um, status. And then I think the NBA will be able to do something a little bit more creative than what the NFL, and the WNBA did. Happy, uh, in terms of staying in shape, would you say that basketball players have an easier time to stay in shape because they can lift weights at home, they can run, uh, they, many of them have a hoop in their driveway as opposed to hockey players who need a sheet of ice, a football quarterback needs someone to catch the ball, 
a baseball player needs someone to pitch to him, to hit, or to play catch with, uh, et cetera. Do you think the, the basketball players have a little bit more of an edge of staying in shape for when their season, uh, if it uh, were to resume? Yeah, I do. That's a good point. For basketball players, a lot of it's cardio, and they can run, and they can stay in shape, and lifting, those are all things you can do at home. In some instances, I know some players have gone to their high schools by themselves and got you know a key and just gone to the gyms by themselves or with a buddy or a family member to rebound. Those things are all kind of allowed. And so, yeah, I mean, I think also basketball players were really in the middle end of their seasons. They were in better shape already than NFL players and baseball players were just ramping up. Hockey was in the same situation as the NBA, but that's a good point. They can't really skate. So, um, yeah, I, I think most of the guys that I represent, you know, we have about 20 guys, are all staying in pretty good shape and getting ready because they know that when this resumes, whichever team is kind of in the best shape, certainly in the first week or two, is going to have an advantage. Happy, one of your clients, RJ Hampton, kind of shocked a lot of people last year choosing instead of playing college basketball to go down to New Zealand and play professionally overseas. I'm curious, given the news this week of Jalen Green as well, kind of how much you think the scales may be tipping for the elite, elite high school guys in terms of options outside of college basketball to kind of bridge that gap to getting into the NBA? Well, I mean, clearly, RJ um, was the first to really do this when he didn't when he had the choice, and then Lamelo Ball followed and it set a precedent. I think it will it's definitely changed already, as you as you know, because of Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd and others joined the G League, and I think it's going to continue to be like that, even when the NBA and the and the Players Association agree to getting rid of the one and done rule, so players are allowed to come out of high school into professional sports into the NBA. Can you walk us through real quick the, the financials of, of, of RJ's decision? I mean, everybody knows you go to college basketball, you're not going to get you know paid. It's essentially a, a work of free year because you're getting a lot of exposure media-wise, at least here in the U.S. What did RJ, what was he able to achieve down in New Zealand financially? Well, two things. One thing I just want to start off by saying, a lot of people will say you get the college experience, you're a student athlete. You know, to me, and I think you guys who know sports well also know there's no student really involved when you're in college for one year. <laughs> you show up in campus in August, you're practicing, classes start in September, you go to some classes. Once October 15th hits and you're able to start practicing with your team, that's what it's about. You're traveling, you're coming back to take a test, you're not around campus, you're not going to classes that often. And then as soon as the year is done, as soon as the season's done in March, or early April, you're already getting ready for the draft. So I don't, I don't buy the student athlete stuff for one year guys. But our, in RJ situation, we were able to secure a good deal with a team in Australia that was uh, mid six figures, and then he was able to enter into a shoe agreement with uh, the largest Chinese brand called Li Ning, Li which Ning. is their yeah. version of Nike. Yep. How big was the shoe deal? Uh, it was high six figures, and depending on where you get drafted, it will be in the seven figures based on number and city. So for an 18-year-old to make seven figures rather than go to college for six months, it's kind of a no-brainer if you really you know, want to get better and work on your game full-time. And he played against adults in a professional league that's regarded as a pretty, uh, pretty, um, 
pretty good league that's very physical. One of the um, advantages, according to the pro NBA people, about this G League is that it, there's a lot of mentoring, some veterans there to teach life lessons. Uh, so it's not just basketball and shoe contracts and and a big salary. Uh, do you see that as an advantage to a 17, 18-year-old kid as opposed to maybe going down and playing in Australia or New Zealand? I'm not sure I buy that, to be honest. Life lessons, you learn life lessons in life. Playing in a professional atmosphere with the pressure, with grown men, I think that's a really good way to learn life lessons. These kids are pretty worldly already. They played overseas with USA teams. They're all super high level. You know, we'll see how it works out. Getting NBA guys to mentor them and to come play with them, I think is a good idea and necessary. But this team, from what I understand, they're not going to play a lot of games. They're not going to play a lot of games with, a lot of, with any pressure. They won't be in front of big crowds. They're not playing in a G League season. They're playing select, you know, preseason games, tournaments. So it'll be interesting to see what are these guys going to do, you know, all day, every day when they're not practicing and lifting. There's going to be, you know, 20 hours a day left. They're not going to be going to school. So I'm interested to see how they're going to occupy their time and teach them. So I think that this is an experiment. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it helps players. Does it hurt them? Does it help them? Are they nitpicked because every NBA team gets to see every single thing they do all year? You know, there's plus and minuses with this situation, and the money's a lot less. We're talking with Happy Walters, co-founder and CEO of Catalyst Sports and Media, and something we talked about earlier in a, in a broadcast. Uh, let's say a, a high prospect out of high school uh, now goes to the G League, and uh, the top prospects can make maybe up to uh, a half a million dollars a year. Now, yes, the money is lower, like you said, for others, but how does the NCAA compete with that? If you if you are a top prospect coming out of high school, why would you go to the NCAA? Why would you just go to the G League instead? I, I think that's what's going to happen. The NCAA cannot compete with that. And you know, the top ten guys every year are probably not going to play college ball if it, things remain status quo. Some will go right to the NBA, and the other seven, eight guys, you know, because only two or three can really go right to the NBA, I think, and history shows that's accurate. But the other half dozen guys are going to probably do something like this or go to Australia or a similar league that's set up for the next stars because they need to make money. They want to make money. They want to be able to practice as many hours as they want or need. The NCAA limits the amount of practice to, you know, a couple, two, three hours a day at the most. So... It'll be interesting to see what happens, but the NCAA should be for players that are going to be there for more than one year and really have the experience and the student-athlete experience we talked about earlier and learn and see what happens. The one advantage that I see to college basketball is that there is just tremendous promotion and, I guess, pre-marketing opportunity there. I mean, I would argue that R.J. Hampton, if he went to college and lit up college basketball would probably be a bigger name right now than he is uh, because he went and played in, in New Zealand as an agent. Sure. Am I, am I overthinking that? Do you think that that's overblown? Just the, the, the fact that these college guys are on ESPN three times a week for, for four months. Is that just something that is not as valuable as, as some people think it is? I, I, no, I think it's valuable. And I think that certainly helps Zion Williamson. And yeah, RJ would be a bigger name, but I'm not sure he'd go any higher in the draft because of it. You know, it does help a couple guys every year off the court with shoe deals. Um, 
But, you know, there's only so many huge shoe deals, no matter how hyped or how much attention you get. You know, last year, some players were, their names were all over the place when it came down to the final four in the NCAA tournament, but they still went in the second round. They still got a shoe deal that was pretty low, even though they were the guy everyone was talking about. So it really depends. Um, it's a good point. You know, in RJ's case, um, whether people knew his name more better this year or, or not, I still think he's in that same 5 to 15 range as he would have been. But, you know, he, he made a lot of money, and it's hard to make that up if you play a year somewhere for free as opposed to a year making money. Happy Walters, co-founder and CEO of Catalyst Sports and Media. Thank you so much, sir, for joining us. We enjoyed talking with you. Uh, you're welcome. appreciate it, y'all. I was, talk- I was thinking about Happy and what he was saying about if they go the route of the NFL with the electronic draft. But what I like is that he believes that this is going to happen in August uh, in real time. And uh, he is very optimistic about it. I have my fingers crossed, and I hope he's right, but we'll see. Well, my takeaway was uh, Marcus Smart, who was one of the first people uh, to come out and say he tested positive for the coronavirus. And then the good news was that he had been tested a couple of times and that he is now uh, clean. And he went down to uh, Texas, and he um, visited with his uh, his brother down there and his dad. And he's also uh, making uh, – he's very visible up here in Boston. And, uh, you know, it's – people looking for hope and Marcus Smart is giving a lot of people around the NBA and especially in New England hope. I enjoyed the conversation about, you know, alternatives to the NCAA. I mean, NCAA basketball not going away anytime soon, but it certainly does feel like for the top top high school prospects, your Jalen Greens, your RJ Hamptons, the calculus may be changing a bit. And just hearing his kind of breakdown there, you know, a a mid-six-figure one-year deal down in New Zealand, a mid-six-figure shoe deal with Li Ning, you know, that's over a million dollars in his pocket before he even hits the NBA. Uh, And and the NBA is making its changes with the G League too. So, you know, I think we're going to start seeing these changes happening more and more for these top, top elite high school guys. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week. And uh, Mike, this is uh, brand new to you. So I, I usually spring a number on and and usually scare the daylights out of heaven. So I'm going to do the same to you. Let's see if you can get this. Uh, and you guys at home, play along. Uh, turn off the prices right and uh, see if you can get this number. I'm going to give you the number, by the way. It's $448 million. That's the number in dollars. And I will give you a hint. This is what he made during his career as a player. I'm going to go with uh, the last dance, Michael Jordan. Oh, no. <laughs> that seems high for Michael. Um, I was. It feels like it should be a baseball player, no? Um, is that Mike Trout so far? Oh, Evan, you were wise? close. You, you, are, you are right. It is a baseball player in the news. A-Rod, A-Rod Alex Rodriguez yeah, that made that much yeah. money, $448 million as a player. Let's see. 
Uh, if it's he's not, gonna buy it's the not Mets. enough to buy the Mets. <laughs> no, it's going to take a little more than that. <laughs> it, might, it might take some more SNH green stamps to buy the Mets with that. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, you've been listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcasts. You can catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And I'm Mike Lynch at LynchyWCVB. And I'm Evan Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. This is Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.